Welcome guests. 100. 100. Welcome to 100. They said we couldn't do it. <laughs> they said we shouldn't do it. I wish you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I So I would have imagined, I was just going, I was creating the folder for this episode and all that stuff. And I would have thought, if you'd put me on the spot, I would have said that like our first 20 episodes were like holds up like actual talking about an old movie mm-hmm. and then we had just kind of lost interest and done it but no the first 59 of the 100 Ooh. all were, right so we're holds up we we still more often than not yeah have honored our title yeah if you, <laughs> and we are if you shuffle them up across the finish line. yeah <laughs> you know. welcome to episode 100 <laughs> Yay. We made it. Um, that is kind of remarkable. I mean, what else were we going to do? So it's not like it was against all odds. It was easy enough to do. But like, yeah, that's that's fun. We had the idea to do it, and we did it, and we keep doing it. Yeah, I think our first episode was maybe our best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've listened back more than I have. You listen when they come out. At least you told me that at one point. Yeah, I, I haven't done it as much in recent times Mm -hmm. but at the beginning yeah i would definitely always listen back i'm seeing here that we cheated episode 89 was followed by 89b where we talked about a bunch of movies i don't know why we didn't count it as a full episode so really last time was 100 by the way last episode but as far as the numbering goes in people's apps and on the website this is episode 100 so great well-earned official it's great the last time we talked it was Northman, Duel, and uh, Massive Talent. So that feels like a... 90 years ago. ago. Yeah. And I've had trouble getting to the theater and finding anything I wanted to see. Yeah. it's Yeah. I'm, I'm noticing... And this isn't, you know, it's not bad for the, that theaters serve different communities. But the, the theater I prefer in Jersey is only 16 screens. Palisades has 21. And... Almost half of those screens are Bollywood movies or mm-hmm. a specific alternative programming or mm-hmm. based movies. Like, the, I, I, it's just sad that people are always complaining that only huge franchise blockbusters or whatever can make it into theaters. There's room, but it's just not the, I don't know what, you know, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. But uh, whatever. We, I mean, we, we've, Everything everywhere was out, you know. They, stuff still slips through. Good. Um. All right. What do, What do we got this week? I don't think we have anything that lines up. No, I've got men mm. and crimes of the future. Both of which are on my hot list. I want to see them both. Haven't made it yet. Um, especially men because I Alex Garland is a favorite of mine and it just hasn't worked out. I missed the one week when there were like actual show times to pick from. And then it's like, now it's only 10 PM and I'm not going really? to a 10 PM movie. So, uh, and I keep, I thought it would be for rent by now, but it's not. So I'm mad at myself for missing that. Hmm. And you, you see, I think not to spoil your review, but I think you liked it more than some of the reviews I've read. Yeah, I liked it more than all right. I mean, should I talk about it or yeah, do you want to wait until? No, uh, well, why don't you give your, just give your impressions. Um, I am definitely going to catch up with it, but, you know. Sure. Never, so never 2022, folk horror written and directed by Alex Garland. 
and it stars Jesse Buckley as Harper. And she is a woman who goes on a vacation to kind of gather and center herself after a traumatic incident um, with involving her husband. But then she meets Rory Kinnear, who plays Jeffrey, as well as all of the men in this country town that she encounters. <laughs> so it's kind of like a like a Little Britain situation. Right. Where this guy just kind of keeps on turning up in in different guises. He's and great too. Do you know him from from anything else? I don't know him. He's in the James Bond series, which is not his most remarkable thing. He just plays kind of a, a desk guy at MI, whatever it's called, MI five. And then uh, he is also uh, he's done some comedy in Britain, and he is on the show Our Flag Means Death. Hmm. See, there's that. There's a show I need to catch up with this month. I'm taking some time off of work. Yeah, that's and, a great one. Um, I've been thinking through shows I need to watch, and that's definitely been on the list. Cool, cool. Sorry. Anyway, so she goes to this house, and then there are strange happenings where this naked man is out on her lawn just kind of stalking her and tries to get in, and then she calls the police and they arrest him, and then just other stuff along those lines happen where people just keep on getting in her business and she can't escape these men. I think the title is maybe even a little too on the nose, right? Where they are all just sort of one man ultimately, right? Cause they're just played by the same person, but um, Jesse Buckley can just get no relief um, even in this little country house. One thing I really liked about this movie was that it has the courage of its craziness that you know, the movies where something weird happens and then another person shows up and everything is normal. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen in this movie. Whatever happens in the hellscape continues to be real in the hmm. in, in the world of the film. So everything that's that that's happening doesn't just get magically erased because someone else enters the situation. It mm -hmm. it uh it's real. And it is very creepy and it is very intriguing. And I don't really know what it, what it means, hmm. except that men are ubiquitous and unhelpful and sometimes sinister. Yeah. And when a woman just wants some relief, she can't find it. Hmm. Maybe that's the point. Mm -hmm. I've but heard a lot of people describe this one as on the nose, and that's really not something I would have used to describe Alex Garland to this point, hmm. his films. Yeah, I think I think you might agree with what they're saying when you see it, but we'll mm -hmm. find out. Yeah. The the visuals are very striking. Um Jesse Buckley, of course, is is very good. I feel like anything she's in is she does a great job. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. All right. Well, uh bad on me for not catching it yet, but I will I will catch up. Uh do you have a you have you seen all he's done three films, right? What are the three? Uh, Ex Machina was the first. I yeah. think you might have one before that. And then Annihilation with Natalie oh, Portman. Yeah, I wasn't putting it all together. I wouldn't have guessed that those are from the same person. Yeah. It doesn't, even just from marketing, it doesn't look like, and from what people no, say about this, it, it this one like is this one is not like the others. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. I used to mix him up in my mind with... Um, Jonathan Glazer, uh, 
uh, under the skin hmm. earth guy, but they're different people. All right. Uh, good, good. Let me get uh, Bob's Burgers out of the way. I don't imagine you're going to like embargo no, Bob's not Burgers until you catch up with it. Um, so are you, have you seen this show, Bob's Burgers, at all? Not really. It's, you know, it's a Fox animated uh, sitcom kind of for adults. Mm-hmm. It occupies a kind of weird quadrant of its own, though. So you've got like The Simpsons, which is, uh, you know, when it's firing on all cylinders is like cutting satire but sentimentality and then you've got family guy which is like pop culture parody spoof whatever uh bob's burgers is like a different animal it's like very cozy and crunchy it's kind of like a uh there's not a lot of conflict it's not a lot of like you know it's just kind of cute and everybody's nice and silly and mm-hmm. sex positive and which kind of stuff you don't see a lot on tv so i like it it's a, it's a fun show and there's a lot of comedic guest stars guessing the comedians doing the voices is fun anyway uh and the, sh- the movie is just a hundred minute episode of the show they don't go on an adventure they don't go globe trotting they don't leave their town it's got just one story that could very easily have been a 20 minute episode where they're afraid they're not going to make a bank payment and then there's some intrigue about a, a, a mystery and then it just is drawn out <laughs> i i enjoyed it for like 45 minutes or to an hour and then I, it kind of got a little i got a little weary um if you like the show it's fun to watch and probably better to just watch on tv uh, they went to the trouble to make a movie and it's big and it's widescreen and whatever but like i don't know i can't say that it was worth it yeah I'm, it's, it's probably a miss for me yeah uh, the other thing I saw was Top Gun Maverick, and mm. you've seen uh, the Cronenberg. So I don't know what we want. Where we want to go next? Why don't you tell us about uh, what is it called? Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future, which is also the title of a Cronenberg, what from the seventies? Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But otherwise, they are unrelated. Okay. <laughs> kind of a weird thing to do, isn't it? Forgot I used that title. Yeah. Right. Um. So this makes a short list of worst films i've ever seen wow it was bewildering but not in a fun campy way um the walkers out in my showing were legion mm-hmm. and i don't i don't even know how to describe what happened in this movie people are talking about okay so here's what i'm seeing i'm seeing a lot of the reviewers oh Cronenberg returned to form oh this body horror auteur and I feel like he's really getting a pass Mm -hmm. because of his stature and status yeah to me this screenplay didn't make any sense the world was not built properly in in that we understand where it's even taking place or why people are doing what they're doing I'm talking a lot in riddles but Mm -hmm. Basically, what's happened is that humanity has ceased to feel pain, and humanity has also ceased to have infections, to experience infection. So first thing that you would do, I imagine, if you could no longer feel pain or anything get infected, would be to have someone do surgery on you out in the street for fun. That's what they do in this world. And the people who are most respected are the performance artists who make like theatrical exhibitions 
out of their public surgeries. Everything is in a grim, um, industrial, war-torn-looking hellscape. And there doesn't seem to be many people around or any culture or commerce apart from these performances. So Viggo Mortensen plays Saul, and he grows organs for some reason, new organs that have never been seen. And his partner in art and also occasionally in sex, which, by the way, is only surgery now because people can't feel anything. Okay. Um, right, sure. She removes these extraneous organs to the delight of onlookers who all take a lot of pictures. And there's an office in the middle of what looks like a, a third world um bureaucratic building that's completely been abandoned except for this one little office that's the national organ registry which is not legal but you also have to register new organs there and there they meet don mckeller and Kristen stewart who are the bean counters and Kristen stewart enjoys reaching inside people and tattooing their organs and that's her art and it also keeps track of them. And so the more... sensation of pain is the only thing that's keeping us from this. This would be happening right now if right. it wasn't for the pesky nerve. Right, ending. exactly. And you can't get infected too. So <laughs> he's just constantly getting sliced open. What a weird and, and they remove an organ yeah. and then they, they stitch him closed. And yeah, can you believe it? He's a little bit weak. Now here's the other thing. Um Bodies are changing in such a way that the only pain people experience are with digestion and with sleeping. So they sleep on these kind of like organic looking beds that kind of hold you with these little tendrils. And they're supposed to move you in such a way that if your body starts experiencing pain in the night, it adjusts. And then this chair is like made out of a bony skeleton that like moves you in such a way as you're eating to help your digestion. And he's having the worst time eating. It couldn't possibly be because he's been sliced open and had organs ripped out, you know, every couple weeks as part of his art. And so this is just the way life is in this world. Now, there's this man who works with this group of people who believe that, evol that Mother Nature, quite a in an accommodating gesture, Mother Nature is adapting humanity to eat trash so that we can clean up pollution. Mm -hmm. And so now we can digest plastic and stuff, or we should be able to. Um, and so there you have a whole food, plastic-based food service that's illegal um, that the government doesn't want people to know about. But it appears that maybe these organs that Viggo Mortensen's having is his new digestive system to be able to eat trash and will will he give himself over to eating trash will his wounds heal please don't spoil it here dan yeah will um i soon forget the image of his partner unzipping his abdomen where he's had a zipper installed and performing a form of cunnilingus on the open wound to his deep sexual pleasure. I, I don't know. 
<laughs> if I will soon forget any of this. Oh uh, my goodness. So Cronenberg has always had these fascinations with body horror and stuff, but it's usually, he usually does kind of a, a standard sci-fi or intrigue story. And then these things are kind of at the periphery, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of, the movies kind of come to a climax. Like I've seen a few, I've been watching uh, some horror classics and I've seen the, uh, recently saw the brood and what was another Cronenberg scanners, famous, famously Cronenberg's, uh, movie about telekinesis and stuff and exploding heads and such. So to hear that he's just kind of gone for it and it's wall to wall bonkers body horror. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to think. I'm intrigued. I want to see it. Right. And I, and, I, and the thing is too, it wasn't to me very provocative body horror. I didn't wince. I, you know, I can be a little bit skittish with that. Um, compared to other stuff that I've seen lately, it is really quite tame. the The story doesn't make a lot of sense or understand human behavior. Like when your organic bed needs servicing, and two women show up from the company that services the beds, and you're just talking about the world you inhabit now, and you know just how awful it is, and these beds, you know, are here to help people. Um, for those women just to take off their clothes as they work and continue conversing with you. And that's just normal for you. (laughs) And then they both jump into bed and giggle and smile. And then there's no follow-up. And then later they skip to an assassination. And then after murdering their victim, they skip away together. What Uh, is happening? Wow. Wow. So if people are removing organs on a regular basis for fun and entertainment, mm-hmm. what what about like the ecosystem of the human body? Are they repla- are they important organs? Are they being replaced? Are people well, just it's dying all different. eventually? So this duo is able to do their work because he keeps on growing new organs. Mm-hmm. And so whenever a new one's been grown, then they can do a new show. Got it. Oh, and I also forgot this part that was deadly serious. Um, He was entered into an inner beauty pageant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, they very well think he, it didn't get there, but they very much expected him to win his category of best new organ of unknown purpose. Wow. Yeah. And he, and he threatened to pull out of the pageant which really freaked out the guy from the National Organ Registry um, that for some reason they were having a pageant even though their department was not yet legal. I, I mean, well. and then of course there was the child who they do an autopsy, a public autopsy. And there's something strange about having a nude child even as a cadaver mm-hmm. on film. Hmm. I'm like, what? Why did you choose to do that? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Sounds challenging. Yeah, challenging isn't the right word for it. <laughs> I, I so, do look forward to your enduring it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I will. But uh, to, but to me, I, for all the positive reviews I've read of it, I just can't even see what they were seeing. I feel like we saw different films. It's one of the the worst movies I've ever seen. 
people are being really, I guess, charitable to it, or they want to like it. Predisposed? I think they just want to like it. It's <laughs> Emperor's clothes. There, like something like a net was bonkers. Yeah, but there was some joy in it. Mm-hmm. There's zero joy in this. They don't know when the things are funny. Ugh. Yikes. It's boring. Mm-hmm. Horribly boring. Have you have you seen Cronenberg's Crash? No, I've not, but I'm I'm culturally aware of it. Yes, it is kind of notorious. I guess at one point considered the sickest thing he'd made. But yeah, and I don't weird. even I don't even think that this movie was that sick. Yeah. Just weird. To me, it's tame. Um, I saw some people comparing it to to 10. You can't compare the two. Mm. Like, to 10 was a tender story, ultimately, between two lost souls. And the wild parts were intriguing. Your jaw would drop, but you were into it. Yeah. Right? Um, Here, nothing like that takes place. Mm. There's no intrigue. Well, um, okay. Fascinating. It's 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 interesting. You know, a lot of aging filmmakers are getting opportunities lately to go back and do one more or revisit a property mm-hmm. or something like that. So to hear, I think it's been a while for Cronenberg, right? Uh, yes. I think it was all the way back to the 2000s. That's when he yeah. um, wrote this script, and it was supposed to be made, I think, with Nicolas Cage, and it didn't get made. Wow. And here we are now. It would have ended up on a uh, on a holds up had it been made as planned. Right. What with that timing. And what, what would the, the trajectory of cinema had been if this was unleashed 20 years ago? Oof. All right. Well, I don't know that I'm going to, it seems so tough to catch things in the theater now anyway. So I don't know if I'm going to prioritize this one, but I will definitely catch I up. I definitely want you to watch it at some point yeah. because I would love to hear your take on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I might love it. Maybe you will. <laughs> Maybe I'll be one of those uh, acolytes. Don't imagine I will, but uh, interesting. All right. Um, Dan, I know we. I don't think we did an episode about it, but I feel like we talked about Top Gun when it was re-released a year or two ago. Did we talk Top Gun at all? Is you that know, even on your radar? I mean, I know you know what it is. But... It's not on my radar. Yeah. I, I'm not the best listener. <laughs> um, I, okay. I do think that... Could it have been that? Then I, I probably I watched Top Gun on a corral tour oh. when they put it through the video player at the front mm-hmm. of the bus. Right. And I wasn't sure if that was a corral tour that we shared in Poland or yeah. if it was a different one. I don't think so because I did. I mean, I guess I could have just not watched, but I hadn't seen it until I went to see it last year mm. or whenever the re-release was. So more like, most likely I just went to see it and then brought it up on the pod. And and I didn't probably, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, uh, you know, on paper, the Top Gun as a thing, as a property doesn't have any, doesn't hold any uh, currency for me. It is, you know, jingoistic and stupid and whatever. Uh, but I guess my take on the first one was you got to admire the editing and the, the, the energy of it. And it definitely is story. It's storytelling that transcends the dumbness of what's going on. And I would say that this new one, Top Gun Maverick, directed by Joseph Kosinski, 2022 action drama, 
uh, actually outdoes the original. Hmm. This is one of those legacy reboots that, and when I say that, I mean just in terms of transcending dumbness, because there's so much dumbness, especially with a, th- it's 34 years since the first one. There's a 34 year later sequel. And uh, so they have to like re-engineer all the same stuff, you know, with like children of the characters who were in that one, mm-hmm. who just happened to be fulfilling the same role and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, Tom Cruise, who's still clinging to that, trying to look like he's 30 thing. Um, but it's undeniable on paper. This movie's got nothing for me, but it's undeniable that it works. Mm. It's extremely entertaining. It's extremely watchable. And, uh, the audience had a great time. The audience loved this movie. I've been hearing some, uh, some Oscar buzz for Tom Cruise. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Saying this is Uh, his year. I mean, I guess eventually it's going to just have to be, you know, that, accumulative thing i don't know that i'd call this performance it's fine he does what he does uh i guess it's as good an example as anything else of what he does curious that sorry go ahead just gonna say the uh kelly mcgillis is the love interest there's so many re so many characters are reprised here including val kilmer who Mm. can't speak and they just work that into the story. And he his character is now an admiral who he has an unnamed disease, cancer or something, so he can't talk. And he uses a computer to communicate, which is, you know, at least a nice thing to give him some work. So they went, but they went to that extent to retain his character. But Kelly McGillis's love interest character is gone. She's just, there's no mention of her. And Jennifer Connelly is here as the love interest. Mm. And there's all sorts of like, I don't know, there's like a lot of pathos around the romance as if this has been but it's just, it's a different lady. So it's weird. But anyway, uh, yeah. Just misogyny. Sure. Just want to bring in the woman of the week. They'd rather bring the guy who can't talk (laughs) back than (laughs) the the woman who can, the woman who can. Yeah. So interesting cast. Uh, Miles Teller is Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, who is playing the son of Anthony Edwards character, Goose famously, spoilers passes away uh, tragically in the original film and who else we got john ham as the uh, admiral who's always you know mad at maverick maverick uh yeah that's it <laughs> i'm looking at the list nobody else is interesting well, but uh, really good yeah no it's not it's really dumb but i i just can't deny that it's it's you know it's good it's good dumb you're fine if you skip it but it's like whatever it's one of those things that you got to just tip your cap and say, yeah, all right. I mean, it's crazy that at this moment, there's just a movie with the word gun in it. Like we're, we're all the best guns. And it's just like, so, and it's like very jingoistic, but non-specific. just like the first movie. They're like training. These are air force pilots training for these emergency missions against enemies from an unnamed country. So it's no kind of real politics whatsoever. When they engage with the enemy, it's only in the sky and they have like big dark shields over their face. So there's no, it just avoids completely any semblance of real world, anything. Well, it's funny how the title is just such a cultural moniker that you don't even really think that it's talking about guns. Right. And it's a, it's a euphemism for the pilots, but the reason is because they are in planes shooting guns. Mm-hmm. Like it really is about right. we kill stuff the best, which is insane. I, anytime I think about guns and entertainment, it's it's kind of I've always kind of compartmentalized, and I think that's breaking down. I'm having more and more trouble 
thinking that shootouts are cool uh, in, in movies as I age, but that's another discussion. Uh, sorry to get depressing there for a fleeting <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, the world's a little depressing. It is. Uh, it is. I don't know that we have anything else theatrical. I We did have a, a conversation online that I caught up with Carrie, a movie that mm-hmm. I had somehow missed for so I, long. I am shocked by that. Um, yeah, me too. I, I think, it, as I said, I think it's one of those things that I was so, I culturally absorbed it to the point where I figured I'd, it's, I've seen it basically, but I was wrong because no, boy, the, the so movie, that movie is so unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's early De Palma and you can see a lot of his like pathologies and, and trademarks and things like it's not, he didn't work up to them. They're all intensely on display in this debut. Mm, right. Right. And uh, or if it's not his debut, it's a very, I think it might be his debut. And uh, yeah, the, just the casting is fascinating. the, the way the story is told, the 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 choice to start the movie as it does in a in a high school locker room mm-hmm. uh, with lots of slow motion naked thirty year olds playing high school students, uh, any every, and it just starts bonkers and it goes more and more bonkers from there. The depiction of you know religion as the kind of fuel for her mother's insanity mm-hmm. is curious and it's it's not just like and this part of this might come from Stephen King because he's pretty good at this stuff too in the original story, but it's more than just your typical, oh, she's a religious nut. Like it's very specific, which I find interesting. Yeah, it's it's cultic. It, it I don't want to call her Mormon necessarily, but yeah. it's like like a Christian offshoot. Like the scriptures she quotes aren't scriptures. Right. And you know? that, that that's the kind of thing that used to bug me as a pedantic evangelical when they would quote the Bible in a movie and it's not real. It'd be like, well, they just may, you can make up anything and say it's from the Bible. But in, in this movie, she's holding like a workbook from some kind of a, you know, program from some kind of a cult she was mm-hmm. in or something. You can see it's not a Bible. It's like a different kind of literature. And I found that just, I wanted to know more about what. Right. Like she went to uh, prophecy night. Right. right. The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love her characterization. I love that scary St. Sebastian. Yeah the glowing eyes Mm -hmm. yeah just a a remarkable you know the portrayal of teenagers just sometimes like so arch and insane and and but other times just so like john travolta is such an idiot right uh i don't know it's just and then just how everything goes wrong as wrong as it can go and even the teacher that was like there for her mm -hmm. is like mocking her oh man it just works. It works way better than you expect it to. Yeah, the and the mother's demise is so much better in the movie than the book. Cause oh, yeah. the book she just like stops her heart by willing it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is much better. Oh, uh, we need a bunch the, of knives. Yeah, the, the knives and then she looks like the weird icon yeah. and right. it's like orgasmic and some, I heard some people claiming that, uh, and for all I know, this could be true, that De Palma basically invented here the shock ending, shock horror he ending. He did. He did. Wow. Uh, when was Sleepaway Camp? That would have been a few years later? I think that was a few years later. Yeah. I mean, sim- I, I, similar era. Yeah. But just that, um, 
the way he he filmed it, I guess, like mm. at night with floodlights to make it seem like it's the day, but it's not right. Mm-hmm. And they filmed um, Amy Irving walking backwards and then played it backwards like she's walking mm-hmm. forward. So it's like you're watching this thing and it's like dreamlike and it's just like not right, but you can't quite right, say right. why. Amy Irving is fascinating in this movie. Like obviously Sissy Spacek is the main attraction in the main show and she's mm-hmm. a she's awesome. But I was taken with I've never I haven't I I know who Amy Irving is and I've probably seen her in a few things over the years, but she's just was uh very magnetic and I don't know, I felt like yeah. she was something. I else. feel like the whole cast of this is just all very striking. Yeah. Like everyone you're you're in, you want to watch them. Yeah. Like the the girl with the cap, mm-hmm. um, she like happened to be wearing that on the day of the audition, and De Palma oh, yeah, just I loved it. I think I read something about that too. Yeah, and she was like, "You sure?" Like, mm-hmm, like, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Edie McClure, who I've only mm-hmm. ever seen play the matronly, you know, lady behind a desk as a high school kid, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of a lot of uh, just great seventies. Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, I've not seen the remake. Is it Chloe Grace Moretz in the, right. in the remake film? I I know it's not going to be as good as no, this. No, it's so, not. Um, don't know why they bother sometimes. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the the musical? Well, the musical is, I mean, to me, it's one of my favorites. The um, so it only it played its previews and then only five performances on Broadway and then the mm-hmm. producer got spooked and went back to Germany and closed all the accounts. Oh so even though they, it had been doing okay business, it just had to close. And it had been done with a, a special agreement between Broadway and West End unions to do a half um, American, half UK cast. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the show closes, like the UK cast who just moved there Mm-hmm. has like 48 hours to vacate oh, the yeah. country. Mm-hmm. And so they never got to record it is the point. But the uh, somebody at the soundboard um, stole the daily recordings mm-hmm. on the final night. And so that's the recording that remains. Oh. And it's, it's just so exciting and searing. It's, su- it's such a good, mm-hmm. such a good performance and just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like the decisions that were made along the way to just rid it of any book. I mean, it was so eighties, right. To not have mm-hmm. any, not have very much spoken dialogue mm-hmm. and you don't know where this is taking place. They're all dressed in togas in the final scene, like a huge staircase descends from the sky Everything is either white or black or red or red in the show. It like nothing makes sense about the show. Wow! And it's just this piece of Broadway lore. There's a great podcast. Is is there no it. video? What's that? Is there any video? There is. Um, no, there's there stuff. Is. There's are versions of the um, the Stratford production before it came to New York hmm. with Barbara Cook. Um, she was nearly decapitated. Um, and quit the show. They brought in Betty Buckley, who was, you know, from the movie, hmm. who does a, an amazing performance as Margaret. Wow. And yeah, just uh, they had Debbie Allen doing all the kids' choreography, like in the style of fame. Mm-hmm. But then you had Terry Hands, head of the Royal Shakespeare Company, doing all the mother daughter scenes. So it's like you had two shows competing with each other. The tone com- couldn't be more different. 
and every um, design decision, costume decision was just ridiculous and hilarious. I think the adaptation choice is kind of out there. Like, right. I mean, why not? Lots of crazy stories have been musicalized, but like, that's kind of a bold decision right there. Right. And I think that it could have worked, um, especially considering the time period of the British mega musical where you just want something with some big mm-hmm. effects. And But it was just so poorly done. Wow. And it just ran aground. So that's but it's still one upper, of my favorite uh, uh, recordings to pull yeah. out. It's in your upper echelon of Broadway. Class. Oh, yeah. Cause, I mean, because it's a live performance so you're hearing the audience response the um pig killing number is just unbelievable just all these shirtless men in leather and there's a a samurai sword it's just unreal in the movie that's one of i'm sure that you know king weaves his stories pretty well so i'm sure there's every reason in the book that you understand why that is the choice the kids make but in the movie i didn't really buy that um travolta and his buds would get themselves that that's a really disgusting prank right that seems really over the top yeah i feel like it was i feel like it was in the book too yeah i mean i get the reason they wanted it to be blood but uh i don't know could have done paint sure um anyway uh wow all right well uh pity that it took me so long but glad that i caught up Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's it. Anything else on our 100th show, Dan? Any 100th <laughs> episode comments? It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It has. It's nice to have an actual friend to be in touch with. Yeah. <laughs> so Every time that. that I say I don't have any friends, I then think of you. Hey. <laughs> That's a very upsetting sentence, but thank you. <laughs> I think no, I, it could be I, do, ha- I do have one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and we're both, uh, you know, relatively uh, middle-aged people that like to go to the movies every week. That's, yep, that's true. Got to got to stick together. So, all right. Um, well, we will ev- eventually be back. Uh, thanks for listening all this time to anybody who has, uh, shout me out on Twitter. If you actually listen to this, you know, give us a little, uh, give us a little shout. Let us know that that's been happening. Otherwise, uh, that's it. And thanks to Joan Rapino for the music (laughs) that I may or may not bother layering into this episode. He forgot he wrote it. (laughs) And, uh, we'll catch you some other time. Bye.